Welcome, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. And we're ready to rock and roll. I hope you are, too. It seems like only a week ago since I spoke to y'all. Is that about right, Trey? About a week? Ladies and gentlemen, I was having a bad day today. I was coming in so excited to do the show, I forgot all my stuff. My, my notes, my booklets, my banners, the whole works. So I had to turn around and go back. So I'm a little behind the curve here, but I think we're catching up. As <laughs> Let me tell you why I tell you that. Because you got to have your morning Joe. And I get my morning Joe, my fresh Joe, from Cameron Hilltop here in Cameron. So you need to go there, tell the ladies hi, tell them you heard it on the radio here. They got monsters, three for five dollars. It's a good deal. Go get your smokes, your chips, your newspaper, a uh, whole bunch of good stuff there. Tell them I said hi, tell them you heard it on the show. Go buy yourself a cup of Joe there at Sefco Hilltop in Cameron. Now, we've got a lot going on today, so I'm going to tell you what's coming up. As always, we got three true stories of self-defense from the American Rifleman's The Armed Citizens column. Live and learn through the others, so take notes on this one. Today's License to Carry and Attorney segment will go over the different levels of punishment in our penal code system and how the slightest offense can possibly follow you for life. My Topic of Interest segment, sponsored by our new sponsor, Cameron Small Engine Repair, right here in Cameron. Today's product spotlight brought to you by ANC Firearms will be the Smith & Wesson SD9. Now, ladies and gentlemen... You need to listen closely to this product review. You will be surprised in what I say about it. And my special guest today will be Cameron Fire, Cameron Fire Chief Henry Hoslick, and we'll be discussing fire safety and, of course, a whole bunch of other stuff as well. And I've always wanted to learn, you know, I'm always wanting to learn things, and I'm sure I'll learn a lot with him on the show, as you will, and this should be a very hot interview, okay? Oh <laughs> all right, all right, okay, I get it, I get it, bad humor. I'm only at a quarter of my cup of coffee, so as I drink, I'll get better with the jokes. All right, let's start it off with our NRA segment, Stories of Self-Defense in Real Life. And this comes from our June 2017 issue of the American Rifleman. Story number one reads as follows. Burglars might not be the brightest people in the world, but one in Alabama was smart enough to recognize the sound of a gun being cocked after which he knew enough to give up and let the homeowner hold him at gunpoint until the police arrived. The family had been sleeping when the sound of breaking glass woke up parents. While the mother called 911, the father grabbed a handgun and went into the living room where he saw someone hiding behind the sofa. The armed citizen cocked his gun and the intruder raised his hands and asked the man not to shoot. My commentary. My commentary. The homeowner used psychological warfare on the home intruder. The homeowner didn't load the weapon. He cocked the weapon. He saw the threat and let the cocking of the weapon do the talking for him. Now, if he made the noise because he was loading the weapon, then I would have had a problem. The noise of the weapon being, I'm sorry, the noise of the weapon being loaded gives your position away and gives the threat time to respond. But in this story, the homeowner had the, had the drop on the invader and like I said, let the gun talk for him. It's just like racking a shotgun, you know. If you don't if you keep moving after you hear a shotgun Yeah, you just uh this guy's crazy on something or whatever. Alright, story number two. A gang of would be home invaders learned a lesson the hard way after surprising a twenty two year old man in his Jacksonville, North Carolina apartment. While the resident was getting ready to head out for dinner one night, he heard a knock on his apartment door. His mother and a friend were in the home with him and he wasn't expecting any visitors. He went to the door and looking through the peephole saw an individual dressed in a hoodie. Since he didn't recognize the person, he grabbed his Glock 30 before opening the door. At first, he saw no one, but as he turned his head to look down the stairs, he was kicked in the face by the stranger who then tried to force his way into the apartment. The armed citizen fired five shots at the attacker, striking him several times. The thug later died. The apartment dweller noticed several others fleeing after he shot the man in the hooded sweatshirt. 
Four suspects were subsequently arrested and charged as co-conspirators. Onslow County officials said the armed citizen will not be charged because he was acting in self-defense. My commentary. Ladies and gentlemen, in this day and age, when you knock on a stranger's door, don't be wearing a hoodie or a cap on your head sloping sideways or your pants down the, you know, past the crack of your you-know-what and your hands out of your pocket in front of you and stand in front of the door but a few feet away from it. In general, do I care how you dress? Well, y- yes, I do, actually. <laughs> I do. But you have the right to wear what you want and I got the right to think you're a thug. My suggestion would be to pose yourself as non-threatening as you can to avoid being potentially shot. I'm addressing everyone here, by the way. Put yourself in their shoes. Would you answer the door for someone who looked like that without reservation? I thought not. Okay, so do unto others, I guess. Story number three. A good Samaritan saved the day by pulling a gun on a would-be robber near Memphis, Tennessee. A parking attendant had tried to do a good deed by walking a woman to her car. As they neared the vehicle, an armed assailant attacked the attendant and pushed him to the ground. As the bad guy began to rummage through the attendant's pockets, an armed citizen saw what was happening. The passerby pulled his gun and told the assailant to freeze. The hooligan said he was unarmed and then jumped into a waiting van to flee. The attendant suffered minor injuries, injuries but was said to be fine. And my commentary... Ladies and gentlemen, no one, or I'm sorry, nobody, and nowhere are you completely safe. You must remember the three A's. A, first one, acknowledge. Acknowledge there's a threat. Second one, be aware of your surroundings. And third, avoid the threat if at all possible. If you can't, then you must do some POT. P-O-T, POT, perception of threat, and determine what level of force you need to use to defend yourself. No one said it was going to be easy. All right, those are our stories of self-defense in real life. And now, before our first break, I'm going to read to you my opinion piece. It's my opinion. Um, If you like it, great. If not, well, I'm sorry. If you want to call up to the studio here, it's 254-697-6633. You can be part of the show. But right now, I've entitled this opinion piece, Good Intentions Don't Always Mean Good Communication. Ladies and gentlemen, I talk about nonviolent dispute resolution and communication process in my license to carry classes all the time and how important good communication is between one another. Well, even teaching it, one can get caught in a situation that leads to bad communication, a total misunderstanding, and end up in hurt feelings or worse. I recently have been facing this problem, and it very much bothers me. Let me read to you a section of what I teach, and this will be from the communication section of our License to Carry workbook entitled, Interactions in a Conversation. It'll be paragraph A, verbal. It reads... When people talk to each other, there's actually six different interactions taking place. Between the speaker and the listener, there are six opportunities for a message to get lost or misunderstood. There are two interactions when a message is sent, what the speaker intends to say, what the speaker actually said. Three more interactions occur with what the receiver heard, what the receiver thinks was heard, and what the receiver responds back to the speaker. The last interaction, what the speaker thinks was said by the receiver, and then it begins all over again. And I want to add something else to this. Being ignorant, as I was, to the topic that has caused the dispute between me and a friend. Due to my ignorance and breakdown in the communication process, we now have a wall between us that I hope is soon knocked down. Another contributor to this mess, I believe, is the texting aspect of it. As we all know, you can text something with the best intentions, but because emotional feeling and the sound of your voice is not present with your texted words, it too can lead to a miscommunication which in turn can cause the walls to get taller. So why am I telling you of my personal problems on the air? Because I've been training and teaching this for years and I still got myself into a mess. For many out there who have no clue as to how the communication process works, their situation could potentially explode to something more violent. Let me read to you a paragraph from Section 1 of the communication process. 
It says here, in conflict situations, people tend to focus on the anger and the blame. Time is wasted on accusations and harsh words. When this occurs, the initial purpose of the conversation is lost. Resentment, frustration, and sometimes violence can erupt, causing emotional and physical injuries. In more severe instances, even death can result. That is why, ladies and gentlemen, communication, good communication, <clears throat> good communication is the key. Once people start focusing on the anger and the blame, the rational thought starts going out the window and things seem to escalate quicker and quicker. So, to finalize this, everyone is susceptible to bad communication. With knowledge of that, hopefully we can minimize its occurrence and if we're lucky, eliminate it entirely. And if my friend is listening, again, I apologize and hope the wall of misunderstanding can be knocked down and the river of friendship can once again flow freely between us. And with that, Trey, I think we're going to fade out with some music and go to our first break. And ladies and gentlemen, on the other side, we're going to have our attorney extraordinaire, Benton Ross Watson, with us. And we're going to be going over the levels in the penal code and how they escalate and how it can follow you for life. So we'll see you on the other side. Everybody, the Aaron's High Cap Adventure Radio Program. And sitting to my left is attorney extraordinaire Benton Ross Watson. Uh, everybody, again. Always Good a pleasure to have yes, you. Sir. Back's killing me. Ladies and gentlemen, your rights as a citizen here in the United States, they're precious. But they can be stripped from you by committing certain offenses, and it doesn't take much. So I want to go over with our uh, attorney here the progressive levels of offenses within the penal code and see how easy it can be to lose your rights. And as always, Ross is prepared with notes upon notes and um, what they can do to you. So, Ross, without further ado, lead the way. Show us what's going on. Well, let's do some of the con felony conviction. And... I was trying to leave and you guys brought me back and I was trying to explain, but there really wasn't even enough time then. And then there was more questions even after that segment that came up. And so I felt like we need to go back over some of that and, and cover a lot of that ground. And there is a lot there and there really is even too much for me to cover today, but I'm going to hit some of the high points that I think are extremely important, especially if anybody's listening that may have a felony conviction or maybe on probation or something like that, this would be an important episode that's in that position once their firearm rights mm -hmm back or wants to keep them and let me make a note of what you just said there too ladies and gentlemen you can always go to my youtube channel and channel we've got all the interviews with um benton ross watson and attorney rick dodd and you can look over it repeat it replay it get all the notes that you need to get so if you miss anything here now this show will also be replayed next week on krxt 98.5 fm out of rockdale their, their shows on that station are one week behind so this show will be re repeated again next week on that station so you got plenty of places also to be posted on my facebook page at aaron's gunshop.com and you can check it out there so we talked about 46.04 of the texas penal code that makes it a crime a felony to for a person who has a felony conviction to possess a firearm within five years from the time either they're sent to jail or you know released from prison and or when five years from the date that they're released from community supervision and they cannot possess the weapon even after that time if it's after if it's away from their residence okay okay so then we had some questions like well the chief brought up some good points about what is a felon what is the probation versus deferred adjudication what is the residence what is family violence what is um 
the conviction for purposes of the federal law because we talked about even if the state allows you to have the firearm, the feds prevent you from having a firearm. So today we're going to try to answer some of these questions. Uh, the, the federal statute is 18 U.S.C. Uh, 922 G1, and that basically says that uh, anyone who possesses a firearm in interstate commerce, which is basically any time that you possess one, okay, you're going to be uh, in trouble for a felon in possession of a firearm, but then you have to ask, well, what is that? That is a person who is convicted of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year. They don't really say felony. They say a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year. And um, there are some definitions of that, but let's let's just say, what is a felon, first of all? Well, the Texas law is going to apply to all levels of felony. It's state jail felony. So you start off with capital felonies. That's, uh, for instance, if you do felony murder, you're committing aggravated kidnapping and you happen to kill your victim. You uh, kill a police officer in the performance of his public duties. Uh, you killed a child, I think it's younger than six years old. Uh, there's there's several, but those are some examples. There's uh, your first degree felony is right below the capital um felony and some of those would just be murder intentional knowingly murder of a person you're not doing anything other than killing a person there's nothing else like that i'm not saying it's a good thing to do you can still get life in prison uh five to 99 years um it's some aggravated sexual assault charges or first degree felonies also uh a second degree felony is the next level of offense that would be like manslaughter if you were recklessly causing the death of another human being or uh, another uh, would be maybe aggravated assault that would be aggravated assault causing by threat, but you use a deadly weapon like a handgun. Oh, and some sexual second-degree felonies. Then third-degree felony. Some of those are like assault, you know, public servant, government contractor, EMS worker. Okay, while they're performing their duties. Others are um, a previous conviction of family violence, and you commit another offense involving family violence. Okay, and so then maybe impeding breath, meaning you're choking. Okay, I talked about this. I think this is a big thing because I, I mean, my cousin and I, I'll just incriminate myself because the statute's already run. They can't come get me. But my 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 cousin. I used to fight all the time. And so I used to talk about this when I used to speak for the juvenile departments and say, tell these kids on probation, hey, when you're fighting your brother or sister and you choke them, because that happens all the time, right? We wrestle like WWF and you put somebody in a choke move and you think that's funny and you think it's great, but really you're impeding their breath and that's a third degree felony. Okay. And so then maybe a state jail felony is interference with child custody. It's just a lower level felony offense. A lot of times um, a way that we defense attorneys consider a win is we'll take a really bad case and try to get the prosecutor to agree to maybe an attempt and a lot of times that makes it a state jail felony or makes it a class a misdemeanor class a misdemeanor would be an assault on a family member okay and then a class b would be like smoking marijuana class c is a speeding ticket okay and what's a class c simple assault because that we state some of that sometimes does that go below what you just said of a class so c or above there's a lot of yeah a lot of times i've heard that uh, and there's really no simple assault so there is a uh a class c offensive touching okay because okay. anybody like if i go hey what's up and i hit you like that uh, on the shoulder well could, that kind of hurt not? so that was pain and that was <laughs> that was a, that was an actual assault but no i'm just playing that's so, so um Dang. i'm just sore from from golf isn't that bad i'm getting old golf makes me hurt but uh so those are some of the the level of offenses and uh let's start with family violence what is family violence because the same applies if you have a conviction for family violence you cannot possess a firearm within five years from the time you are released from the jail or community supervision and you can't go away from your house okay hey, but so, how does this work though if it's family violence and i and, and we're brothers and i knock you down or something and all of a sudden i become a felon but i'm still living in the same we're house. not a felon you have a class a misdemeanor for family violence okay whatever whatever it takes my ability to have a gun okay let's say i did something but i end up going back home how do you you're legal you got the 
gun, but I'm in the house near those guns. H- how does that work? Okay, so I'm going to get to that. We're going to talk about possession, but let's try I'll, to I'll let's try to <laughs> let's try to stick with what what is family violence because this is a kind of important too. It Dick is a Harris, household man. household member or someone who you have or get this have had a dating relationship, and so the legislature and the courts have interpreted that to mean there is no time limit. So you could have dated somebody 30 years ago. What if what if you're today's uh, uh, gay lesbian things are hot? Okay, so what if you have two same sex? What if you have a same sex individuals in a relationship 30 years ago and they come back as two dudes and then all of a sudden they get mad at each other not even nothing sexual has nothing to do with their relationship they just get mad because maybe you know one almost ran them off the road right i understand that it's a it's an assault but they could claim that they have had 30 years ago a dating relationship and so that would make them a family member wow. so i yeah i don't agree with the way that that's interpreted i think they're gonna have problems later on down the line we just haven't got a good case yet okay but yes it is it's extremely broad but uh we had a we had a fun case uh, i tried one of my first cases I tried with another lawyer uh, a guy we were trying to say that it was merely friends with benefits they were not dating and the and the and the supposed victim who was the guy on the stand got there and said he was creeping oh we had fun with that um I'd like, uh, I'd like to be in a courtroom with you man a fly on the wall watching this stuff go on so <laughs> So I'm telling you, it was great. It was it was really great. But so if what is a felon then? So we brought up some good points last week, and I, I hope I'm not running out of time. We should really try to cover this. This this a felon. If you go to state jail felony, you're a felon. Okay, you go to state jail, you go to TDCJ, you're a felon. You've got a conviction. Probation. Huh. Well, we talked about, let's, let's wait on that. We talked about deferred adjudication. Deferred adjudication, right, means exactly what it says. Deferred judgment. So there is no judgment of conviction, okay, because they have deferred judgment in the case. They placed you on community supervision. You are not sentenced, okay, and so there is no conviction. And so if you complete your time of community supervision, which is nothing more than probation, okay, stated in a fancy phrase, if you complete that term of probation, then they will dismiss the case. There is no conviction if you successfully complete deferred adjudication probation probation okay stated in a fancy phrase if you complete that term of probation then they will dismiss the case there is no conviction if you successfully complete deferred adjudication probation okay okay and so you are not falling within that category of being a felon what about probation as i said we didn't mention last time if there if you have probation you are convicted we didn't have much time but that's not all the way true okay because the legislature has made a way for you to avoid the consequences of having having a felony conviction even if you are on felony probation if under the it used to be 4212 and i'm gonna have to look because they they just changed the law the legislature did it now it's 42a.701 f so under 42a 701e it says if you satisfactorily complete and fulfill your conditions of probation then the judge will discharge you from probation a discharge is nothing more than a release from jail because when you're on probation you're technically sentenced to jail except they suspect in other words, probate that sentence and let you serve community supervision outside of jail. So if you successfully complete your probation, then they discharge you and release you from your probation, community supervision. Got it. However, 42A.701, the judge may, in his discretion, right, if it's good for the community and if stuff and if proof of the, is made known to the judge that the defendant has not been, you know, he's done well and it's good for society to be released, he can set aside the charge and dismiss the indictment. He can do it. And so if that happens, 
And technically, there are some cases saying that all of your rights are restored. And so we have this case, Rudy uh, Quellar uh, versus State. It was a 2001 case out of San Antonio. The defendant in 1976 was convicted of heroin. It was a felony. He took probation three years, successfully completed it. The judge, at, under then the 4212, which is substantially the same provision that I just read under 42A.701, set aside the conviction and dismissed the indictment. Later on, 20 years later, in I think it was uh, 1996, the defendant was, Mr. Quillar was riding in a passenger car that got stopped for speeding, just some regular traffic stop. And the police officer asked some passenger, which was Mr. Quillar, uh, ID, I just wanted to, I did felon. So this cop says, you know, like a good police officer, I'm not knocking the cop. That's what he was supposed to do. I was going to ask him some questions. So you're a felon. You got any firearms in the car? Mr. Quillar said, yeah, we've been hunting. I got my hunting rifle. So well, jail. Got him for felon in possession. Quillar, right then, filed a motion and dismissed. Uh, under that statute, the case, the state appeals to the appellate court. The appellate court upheld the trial judge. They overturned. It's going to tell you all the hardship. I wanted you to see this. Sent back all the way down. They had to start over. He got reindicted. Right, you didn't get reindicted, but technically, you know, however you want to look at it, semantically. Okay, they start the case over. So he's back in front of the judge. He files. He, he's looking a strategic move, and they said, "We're trial. We're not going to fight this. Right? What we're going to do is plead guilty, and then plan an attack on appeal." So they did. They pled guilty. What was their plan? Well, they were going to say that. The Aaron's high cabinet. He's checking his notes. To support the conviction with evidence, was to demonstrate that Mr. Quillar was actually a felon because it had been set aside. The charge was set aside and the indictment was dismissed, very similar to a deferred adjudication. And the state says, no, this was probation. If, if the legislature meant for this to be like deferred, they would have called it deferred. There's This is not what it was meant. And the appellate court disagreed. The appellate court said the language is clear. And it goes and he wins on appeal and it goes up to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals and the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals said the same thing. It The language is clear. But what I wanted to, why I want to emphasize this case is because that costs so much time and money and hardship. And I want you to listen to what the words of the Justice uh, Green in the San Antonio Court of Appeals. And I'll keep up with it. It's just one little paragraph, but I want to read this because it was the end of the case and he was trying to make a point. This case is troublesome because it is uncertain why Mr. Quellar was charged with a felon in possession offense, much less actually tried for the offense. The law is straightforward. The Article 4212 order should have been sufficient to shield Mr. Quellar from any criminal charges stemming from the nullified 1976 conviction. Under the circumstances, Mr. Quellar was not mistaken in his assumption that it was legal for him to possess a hunting rifle. And despite some sentiment elsewhere around the nation to the contrary, it is still perfectly legal in the state to possess a hunting rifle if you are not a convicted felon. Notwithstanding, it appears the state insists on its relentless pursuit of Mr. Quellar, and that being so, the state's promise, initial promise to Mr. Mr. Quellar, that he would have a clean slate if he successfully completed probation, was, as we see now in the end, an empty promise. Wow. You're passionate, dude. But that's what that's what I'm saying. You, you, you say the language is clear, but you're always going to have an overzealous prosecutor that's going to try to take it to the next level. And we don't know why. Maybe he was not a favorable guy in the community. I don't know. Maybe they were just... I, I was I was looking at the newspaper article or heard a news news ad or something. I forget what it was. But some guy had to go to court three times for the same problem because they kept retrying him, retrying him. It's like, my gosh, you're just going to keep going until you get the guy. What happens to just going to court, doing your job? He's either guilty or he's non-guilty. And, and basically the same thing here. It just keeps going up.
up. They want to win, and they'll do whatever they can to win just so they'll look good. That's how it appears to me anyway. But then he was right because they appealed it again to the Texas Supreme Court, like I said, and they, they upheld the decision this time. And, and what they say is very important. I want to, this is, this is important. The underlying purpose of the community supervision is to pr- provide criminal defendants with a chance to mend their ways. If a defendant like the appellate, Mr. Quillar, accepts the challenge, if he accepts that challenge and successfully completes those terms and conditions of community supervision, he should not be stigmatized for the rest of his life. Such persons have demonstrated that they are ready to rejoin the community as law-abiding citizens. Accordingly, we have recognized that once the conviction is set aside, persons previously convicted of felonies can serve on juries and vote in elections. And if they can do that, there is no reason why they cannot carry a hunting rifle. Power. I'm, I'm proud of the courts for what they did. You hear that passion in his voice, ladies and gentlemen. If you got a challenge, if you got a, a legal problem, you need to call this man. He's extremely passionate. Uh, there and was Ross Watson. There was some. There was some other. There were some other cases that that that, that were on the federal level. I'm not going to talk about them as in depth. But uh, United States versus Fix was also a 2001 case. Now it didn't. It's a little unclear exactly how the feds are, are going to interpret that provision under the new statute and whether it's going to be exactly the same as Texas. But Texas law controls, and so it should apply in the same way but in, in mr fix's case he didn't go under that provision he actually got a new trial he got his lawyer to to get the the district attorney to agree to grant him a new trial and then try to dismiss it and and he tried to make the same argument mr quillar made and, and and you know buttress it with that opinion and that really didn't work but the court still upheld and cited those opinions uh later in the, in a chalmers case in 2002 uh for the proposition that in either case uh you can still uh, regain your rights as a citizen, even if you have what would uh, he? Because he did have a felony conviction. You see, he got a new trial. Mm-hmm. So, but but in those two circumstances, it would be possible for uh, uh, even if you had an initial felony uh, charge or con- conviction, right, to have it then set aside under that article of forty. I can't ever remember the new one. Just to uh, what is it? Forty two a point seven oh one. That's it. So, and um, I mean, if if you're one of these people, you should really look into this. And then we talked about getting a pardon. Uh, you can make an application, and for certain juveniles, there's what's called an executive clemency. Um, there's also a pardon, I'm sure, for juveniles as well. I haven't ever had to try to go that route, but um, there is also an application that you can make for restoration of rights. You can make that to the Board of Pardons and Paroles. Uh, don't really do many of those. Uh, a lot of times, the guys specialize in that and do just a ton of cases and make mm-hmm. a lot of money. <laughs> but but I, I, I maybe I should look into it. But um, I, I can help you with that. But uh, if it, regardless, if you if you think you're in one of those situations you can just google you know and i'm sure you'll find somebody that uh is is local or close by i'm sure there's a bunch in austin this is um, incredible this is information overload it's like there's so much out there that you don't know or you have you have an idea but then all of a sudden like you're talking about in this situation it just keeps getting uh twisted or turned around and off of what it should be really doing based on what the law says so there's a lot of people out there who get um frantic or lost and they got to find somebody who knows what they're doing that's why there's people out there like you with such a passion who can clear it up talk about it and ensure um this is the rights that you do have let's not get them stolen or, or covered over and people just need to know that that if you do something that causes a mark on your record you need to find somebody who really knows what they're talking about to protect those rights that you have last i want to i want to mention because we talked about this last time and you just mentioned again today i want to make sure people know this so the the possession felon in possession firearm doesn't say anything about felon owning a 
a firearm. Nothing's preventing you from owning it. You're preventing you from possessing it. And I think uh, you had asked me at some point, maybe last week or this week, whether uh, somebody could shoot it for fun. No, that'd be possessing. Okay, so you got to ask yourself, what is possession? Well, obviously, if the person's carrying the rifle on their person, and I'm not going to get into carry. Yeah, there's actually been some lawyers make some winning arguments about the, their client wasn't carrying it. I thought that'd be a straightforward issue, but not all the time. But carrying it, if you're carrying on your person, right, that's being in possession. But what else? Well, we look at it under drug possession. If in other cases, like you said, if your wife is not a felon and she she lives in the house and she is an NRA member and she's gun ho about gun rights and she has her own weapons, are is your presence in the house and knowledge of the guns being in the house make you responsible? Um, again, take what I say and remember that an overzealous prosecutor can try to make a case out of whatever he wants. But I will say that there have been many cases say that it's like drug possession. So that means that the accused person must know of the existence of the weapon, right? And that the accused person has exercised care, control, and, and, and management over the weapon. And so if it is in a house and it's in your wife's safe and you never go in there, okay, then I don't think you meet that second element at all. If it's hers and she manipulates it, she handles everything and she does it all, mm -hmm. okay, then I don't think that there's any question that you don't fall within number two. A good thing to do if you're worried about it is to put your guns in a storage safe or give them to a family member and say, hey, hold it for me until five years comes up and then give them back to me. But... Remember, there is really no exceptions like there is for regular people that are not, I say regular people, you're regular people if you have a felony conviction, I don't mean to say it like that, but people who are non-felons, okay, or have been given clemency or something like that, right, we have exceptions even when we otherwise maybe possess a gun illegally for traveling purposes. If we purchase it at, just like Academy, you go to Academy, purchase a gun, uh, carry it between your business and your house, or you can have it out in the open maybe when those do not apply to a felon in possession. So you better tell your family member to bring the guns to you, okay? Because you can't go get them, okay, and then take them back to your house. There is not those exceptions available for a felon at least. That is not what the courts are saying. It's a literal interpretation of that statute as well. Um, I, they don't even have to prove exactly uh, evidence that it was a way. That would be yours to prove. And I'll tell you why I've asked this uh, so many times. is because I get so many questions about it and that it's unfair for the person who does not have the felony to have to do extra stuff if their rights are being... Uh, covered over because of the offense of somebody else who's got the felony. So if you're in the house uh, and it's you're all related and the person without the felony's got the guns but the person with the felony's not supposed to be near the guns, it seems unfair for the person who didn't do anything wrong to have to make special adaptation to the environment to make sure that this individual doesn't get in trouble. Right, and I will say there is a case, and yes, there there is a case talking about the environment because there, there are circumstances, that's what they have to use to link it. And there was a case, uh, a win, I can't remember what year, but it was around 2003, The he was in a car that got pulled over and he was aware that the weapon was in the car and it was a prohibited weapon and uh, they found that there was sufficient evidence of his awareness but they said that it was insufficient for the conviction and they overturned it and granted a new trial remember he wasn't acquitted he didn't get found innocent they had to go back and then the state got a second bite at the apple okay so then they had to go back the car was only pulled over 20 seconds and only took it to pull over and it was only a speeding uh, charge and um, they didn't see him with the firearm and it wasn't his vehicle and there were other people in the car and so his claim that it wasn't his vehicle and he didn't have custody management and control over that whip and it's the high cap adventure radio program we've got a lot more on the show coming up um i wanted to go back to um the attorney segment attorney benton ross watson extremely passionate he's got notes galore when he comes here he's very thorough and prepared and it's just awesome we get a lot of comments on that so we just want to thank him again now on this segment i want to uh, tell you we've got a new sponsor 
and that's Cameron Small Engine Repair. Uh, Kyle Van Cleve doing a great job over there. And I want to just thank him very much for um, helping to sponsor the program and keeping us on the air. And so if you've got any uh, challenges with your small engine repairs, you need to just go there and Cameron here. And uh, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but you can give him a call, get your stuff ready, and uh, he'll, do, he'll fix you up right. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a lot of things going on this month at Aaron's Gun Shop. And on July 14th, that's going to be next Friday, is going to be our next round robin competition. And I need to explain it again. A lot of people are still unsure as to what it is. And if you want to see how it works, you can go to my YouTube channel, Aaron's Gun Shop YouTube channel, and look at all the videos there, the interviews, the product demonstrations, the uh, round robin clips, and get an idea of how the round robin works. But in general, in basic terms, as brief as I can make it, uh, we do five shooters at a string at a time. And let's say you got 15 shooters, you'll have three strings of five shooters. Well, one string will go in, each will have their own weapon, and they'll put it on the, the table, on the counter there at the shooting booth, and the slide will be locked to the rear, the magazine will be out. And each person's got their own gun. And when the competition starts, the first person picks up their gun, shoots five rounds through it, and then has to move to the next booth where a totally different gun is laying, owned by somebody else, and they've got to be able to manipulate that handgun under time constraint, accuracy constraint, and um, familiarization of a new gun that they're not familiar with. So it's a lot of uh, fun. It's a lot of great training. Come to my shop to go shooting at the range. It's going to cost you $10 for the night to go shooting. It's very cheap. Okay, You pay for your targets, your ammo, whatever you need outside of that. But the range fee is only $10 for the night. If you come on the 14th, you're going to pay an entry fee of $20. And that will include range time all night long. It gets you to participate in the competition. And if you win, you get a prize, whatever that prize may be. It may be a handgun, maybe a rifle, shotgun. This week, it's going to be a safe, which has been converted from a payphone, an actual Bell telephone payphone. It's been somewhat gutted piece. And as you know, phones all around, these are become leaks. It's a, some people don't even have to, that's how, and it's not that long. So if you compete, you get to get this really cool looking payphone converted into a safe. You can mount it to the wall or you can mount it to the pedestal that comes with it. And you can mount that to the floor and mount the gun safe into the pedestal. Great conversation piece. If you come into my shop, you'll see it there by the bar setup. And uh, it's just pretty cool looking. And you can have it for 20 bucks if you win the competition. So that's July 14th, the next round robin. Go to aaronsgunshop.com. The home uh, homepage at the top is a link. Click on the link and it'll tell you all the details. Now, July 15th, we have a travel seminar. good friend of mine, uh, Mark, retired Green Beret, is doing a travel seminar. Now, we had my son on last week talking about him going to France and why it's so important to know everything, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's, and it coordinated very nicely with what Mark is doing. Uh, my son Dylan is a live example of application of what Mark can do for you. He um, he looks at where you're going, what you're going to do, gives you an itinerary, tells you places that are nearby. But he's doing a seminar on the 15th. I need five confirmed people to do it. It's $25. You can go to my website at aaronsgunshop.com. Go to the Facebook page and you'll see the information on it there. And he'll have his contact information. You can call him. If you're planning on traveling abroad, you need to talk to uh, Mark Boer. He's got tons of information and he can square you away. On the 21st is Ladies' Night. That's the third Friday of the month, and ladies get to shoot for free at the range. The range time is free for the ladies. Guys, I'm going to take money from you, but bring your ladies, and they get to shoot for free. July 22nd will be the next License to Carry class. That class is already filling up. So if you want to get your license to carry, it's $60 for the course. If you want to refresh your skills, it's $40 for a refresher course, and that's going to be on the 22nd of this month. So you can either give me a call or go to my email at aaronsgunshop at gmail.com.
gmail.com and let me know that you want to book it or give me a call and we'll do it over the phone. Also, I have in-home gun familiarization classes. A lot of people want to know how to familiarize themselves with their handgun, but they don't have the opportunity to go anywhere or they're not able to go anywhere due to disabilities. Well, I'm mobile. I can come to you. It's $60 for the first 90 minutes. We'll take the guns that you have, go over them, be familiar with them. I'll tell you a whole bunch of more information on how to handle them. It's a very good little um, personal type of seminar. And I think if uh, you're looking to familiarize, familiarize yourself with your gun, give me also, having a party and you got no place to go, we rent out the facility and we can talk about that in detail too. So we got lots of fun things you can do at the range and in the shop if you're having a private party. So check out aaronsgunshop.com and um, look at all the things that we have to offer. Now, I want to go after this. Right now, I want to go over a, a product too that a lot of people have asked me about and it's really cool to have and I'm going to show it in the video here in case we have it online. These are dummy rounds for a 12-gauge shotgun. And what's a dummy round? It's like a snap cap. I use these snap caps to practice. It's an excellent way to train on how to load, function, and clear malfunctions using totally inert shotgun rounds made of plastic and rubber. It protects your firing pin when dry firing and also gives your hands-on training when you're loading your weapon. And it can't be mistaken for real shotgun shells. It's got a blazing orange color. I mean, you can't miss this color with a brass rim on it. Now, they come in all sorts of calibers. Uh, right now, these are like five for ten bucks. And if you got a shotgun, uh, I had a lot of people at shooting. I guess you're, I've never done competition skeet shooting, but I guess you got to reload real fast. And this is a great way to, to train with dummy rounds. And it's a two and three quarter inch shell. It's plastic, blaze orange, totally inert, nothing in it. It's just meant strictly for manipulation and practice, feeding, um, practicing malfunctions, so on and so forth, just to get your speed up and your hands familiarized with handling cartridges to go into your pump shotgun, your semi-automatic shotgun, or your over and under, whatever it may be. So these are five shells for $10. I've only got, I think, about eight packages to them. And so if you're interested in them, just give us a call and we will tell you about it or you can come in to the shop and purchase it yourself. Okay, great. Hey, Trey, we got a few minutes. You had mentioned before about a conversation we were having. You told me about a couple of stories. Why, why don't you get on the mic here? Let's talk about this. All right. <clears throat> on the news today, we had a we ran a story about a man that was shot while he's playing basketball with his kids. And uh, police got a call after a woman reported she was looking out her window and a bullet penetrated her window. Now, nobody was injured in that incident, but... Uh, Officers later reported hearing shots fired from a nearby field. The uh, police found a man shooting a 9mm pistol at a constructed berm on his property on 1200 block of East FM 93 there in Temple. Uh, the, the police said he shot several hundred rounds by the time they responded. Uh, after they found him shooting out a victim right in his stomach and his wife drove him to the emergency. Now, this is we're talking about this because last week... Uh Retired police chief Kent Randy Dixon was talking about fireworks and people use weapons sometimes, which is crazy. Uh, laws of physics, what goes up must come down. Yeah. And so here we have a, a gentleman shooting at a berm. Okay, he's attempting to do it right, but you never know what a ricocheted bullet's going to do. And you're, when you learn how to use a gun, where's your bullet going? Oh, that's right. What's your target? What's your backstop? But he stopped, though. It could hit a rock, just anything. And it deflects. It goes to show you, you, you have no bullet in reality. It's going to do what it wants to do. You're hoping you're going to get it where it needs to be. But once it makes impact, all bets are off. It can do a lot of crazy stuff. Now, I think you had another one that kind of relates to what the chief was talking about. Here, uh, Wednesday, there was a pregnant woman who was struck by a shotgun blast that was fired from a passing car at a group of teens in a fourth 
to July get together. It correlates with what are you saying about shooting it up in the air or what? Or they had a beef against these people. But if you're shooting a shotgun to make a bang on Fourth of July, uh, people are on the other end of that buckshot or birdshot or slug or whatever you're shooting downrange. So it kind of fits once again with what the chief was saying about uh, guns and uh, alcohol and fireworks on the Fourth of July probably, probably don't mix very well. And, you know, honestly, buying fireworks is a lot cheaper than getting fined and having to serve time for shooting somebody or hurting somebody. That's right. Now, I got Chief sitting next to me right now. And, uh, Chief, we were talking about that. And then let me get the other mic. And, Chief, we were talking about this before the show even started and how your words of wisdom, uh, the kind of sewer of common sense, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's just got to be careful even when you're playing around or even when you're trying to be good. Yeah, happen, right? I mean, there's a, it's not a joking matter because, you know, there's there's absolutely no idea where that uh, that uh, projectile is going to go once it leaves that muzzle. You know, in uh, Georgia, as a matter of fact, there was a seven-year-old girl killed on the 4th of July day, the same exact thing. <sighs> Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Cab Adventure Radio Program. And we've got about 37 minutes left to go in the program. We're now going to go over our product spotlight. And this section is sponsored by ANC Firearms and Heidenhammer. Arch Kuntz, a very good friend of mine, been out there for years. He's got a great store. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to go there. And don't be don't be reviewing on the Internet where you can find a gun cheaper, okay? When he has guns out there, he's a sponsor of the program. He's supporting me. You support him. It's the circle of life, <clears throat> okay? So if you like the show and you want to stay on the air, you need to support the sponsors who do it. I want to thank all my sponsors. But Arch, I've known Arch for a long time. You can call him at 254-983-4417. Talk to Clint, Mike, Dennis, whoever picks up the phone. They'll be more than happy to help you. And if you're calling about a gun that I talk about and they don't happen to have it anymore because somebody bought it, they can order you another one unless it's a specialty type of gun where it's one of a kind or it's on allocation, something like that. But they can usually get you what you need. They got guns, ammo, knives, accessories, the whole works. And what this week we're going to talk about is the Smith & Wesson SD9. Now, I told you to pay attention to this segment because I would get nowhere's close to an SD9. Nowhere's close. That was in the past. It was the same thing with the um, North American Arms Mini Revolver. Because I was shooting it with the stock handle, and in my hand, I couldn't get a grip on that thing for you know the life of me. I'm like, this is terrible. But once I tried it with a different type of grip, I saw the mechanics was excellent. The quality was excellent. The grip made it perfect. I can shoot 10, 15 yards in a four-inch circle with a little mini revolver. That's excellent. Okay, It's the same thing now with this gun review, the Smith & Wesson SD9. The problem I had with this gun was the trigger. The gun itself is quality all the way. It's the low-grade line of the Smith & Wesson line in the sense of price, but the quality is there. The reason I'm changing my tune on this is because for about $20, you can buy yourself an upgraded trigger, and that trigger will be slick as snot on a doorknob, okay? It's really going to be nice. So you've got a gun here where you, can, you buy a normal gun for $450. You can almost buy two of these high-capacity type of handguns, and they're quality-made. So I'm going to read to you an article from thetruthaboutguns.com on the Smith & Wesson SD9. I'm going to read parts of it. This is from Tyler Key. And he writes, based on the reading, based on reader survey, it looks like our readers want to read more about budget-minded guns, don't we all? So before you today, we have the Smith and Wesson SD9. This fine piece is the lowest-priced pistola de plástico in the S and W lineup. In other words, the plastic gun is the lowest version they have in the plastic guns. You've got M and P's, you've got the shield, and this one here is the, the low end. But I'm telling you, it's a good gun. 
Appearance, fit, and finish. Comparing an off-the-rack M&P to the SD9 is plain to see that the SD9 is the budget option. You'll notice things like the stamped sheet metal slide release and the plastic guide rod, but you'll also notice nicely textured grips and a very well-finished metal surface. The SD ships in a cardboard box, but you get two. Yes, two chrome-finished magazines that glide smoothly in the magazine well. Not bad for a low-priced heater. This is a budget firearm with the budget in all the right places. I was hard-pressed to find any machine marks, mismatched castings, or any other signs of poor assembly. Yes, it has some budget-minded parts, but it's a very functional, solid firearm. The SD9 has all the bare essentials. There's the magazine release, right where, it's, where it ought to be. Slide release is there on the driver's side, and it has two wee little takedown tabs for cleaning. This gun doesn't have a manual safety or a grip safety. The SD9 is the literal definition of a point-and-shoot gun. It really is. I'm going to read to you what he says here, and I'll make a few more comments on myself. But the handling characteristics, I took it out of the box and found it feels good in the hand. Not only is it comfortable, but it points like an Irish setter. The front sight has a bright white dot on this particular model. The one at ANC Firearms has got the True Glow um, sights on it. I believe the, the front is green and the rear is orange, and so it's a nice contrast when you go to get a sight picture. Okay, um, and the grip angle just seemed to suit me perfectly. This gun has been satisfyingly boring on the re reliability front. <laughs> like Oprah, it doesn't matter what I feed it. She eats everything. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I didn't write, write that. This was Tyler Key, so you can complain to him, okay? I really wish I had a cool story to tell you all about double feeds or stovepipes, but I didn't. Dead nuts reliable. I might do an extended test and soak it in motor oil or salt water or pack it with sand to see if I can get it to jam. If so, I'll let you know. Versatility. The SD9 is just a good all-around gun. Happy as a range toy, concealed carry piece, or extra gun around the house or vehicle. In fact... This is probably going to be for my. This is probably going to be to my recommendation for someone who wants to get their feet wet with gun ownership. It may be a tad large for summertime carry, but for winter carry with a jacket, you'll be good to go. Or keep it in your vehicle or nightstand. Heck, for the money you'd spend on a quality 1911, you can keep one in your vehicle and one in your nightstand. This is the specifications for it. This is for the SD9. It's nine millimeter. This is the one that's at ANC Firearms. It's got a 16. It's got a striker fire action. Barrel length is four inches at ANC Firearms. I believe it's a green True Glow front sight with red in the back. Overall length is 7.2 inches. Width is 1.29 inches. The weight, 22.7 ounces. The frame material is polymer. The slide is stainless steel. Barrel is stainless steel. And ANC Firearm now has it for $275, I believe it is, on his shelf. This is an excellent piece for a starter or for somebody on a budget. And like I said, with a $20 trigger upgrade, you can have yourself a fantastic handgun. The appearance, fit, and finish. This gentleman says, I'm dinging a star for stamped sheet metal parts and the plastic guide rod. At this price point, though, you can't have all the things you want, and I get that. But you still can't bring pieces like that to the table and hope for a five-star rating. Otherwise, fit and finish was superb. Ease of use. All the controls were where they're, where they're supposed to be and function the way they should. Handling five stars through and through. The SD9 is a natural pointer and feels very comfortable in my mitts. So the overall rating here, here's a 
dead nuts reliable gun that's a pleasure to shoot for a touch of over $300 in this case. But at Arch ANC Firearms, you can get it for $275 or $279. I forget what it is. Go to my Facebook page, aaronsgunshop.com. Go to the Facebook page and you'll see a picture of it there. I'm holding it in my hand. It's got the price tag right on it. So check it out. At that price, you really can afford, uh, you really can't afford not to buy one or dot com. Go to the Facebook page and you'll see a picture of it there. I'm holding it in my hand. It's got the price tag right on it. So check it out. At that price, you really can afford, uh, you really can't afford not to buy one or four. I'm impressed and I hope the SD9 is a big seller for Smith & Wesson. I want to back that up because I'm telling you, at first... I didn't like the gun at all because of the trigger. But now with so many guns having so many aftermarket parts, you can take that bad trigger out and put it in an excellent trigger and get yourself a quality Smith & Wesson handgun for half the price of what you would normally buy for a, an upgraded version. So call them, 254-983-4417 and give ANC Firearms a call. Welcome back, everybody, to the Aaron's High Captain Mitchell Radio Program. Again, it's July 8, 2017, and I have sitting to my left here Cameron Fire and Chief Henry Hoslick. Henry, welcome to the, the program here. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for coming at such a short notice here and just talking to that mic for me. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Now, um, Chief, we, a lot of people know you, if not everybody, but we're on different radio stations that will be broadcast next week, and there might be some people who don't know you. So what I wanted to do was ask you, if you could, give us a short bio on yourself as to who you are, what you're doing, your experience, and all that, and how you got to be in your position, and so that people get to know who you are. All right. I joined the volunteer fire department in uh, 1972. Uh, I was a volunteer for about five years, and then the job position came open for a paid firefighter. And I applied for a job and I got it. And I've been there ever since. I've been a, a career firefighter for 40 years. I've been in fire service 45 years. So you kind of know what you're talking about. Most of the time, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We've got about 20 minutes here. And I have a lot of questions. I, I kind of know the answer to some of them. But I'm, only, I'm like a sponge. I want to learn. So the first thing I really wanted to ask you was this. What's the most common mishaps found in the fire world? Majority of our fires in, in, uh, in Cameron has been in the last several years is cooking fires. Um, people start preparing a meal on the stove, and uh, either the phone rings or the kids um, get into something and they forget about to have an open fire cooking uh, some kind of meal on the stove. <clears throat> and when they go back, it's too late. The fire has already erupted out of the pan, caught the cabinets on fire, and just gone up across the the, uh, the ceiling. And that's the majority of the of the home fires. So if you have a home fire, um, it, would be, it would make sense, if that's a common thing, to have fire extinguishers all around the house maybe. But in the kitchen, don't you need a special type of fire extinguisher for the kitchen based on grease and all that? Well, the ABC fire extinguisher that you can buy uh, um, mostly at all the uh, uh, like Walmart, Lowe's, and places like that, that puts out any type of fire you have. Um, yeah. Say so, uh, you get a five-pound fire extinguisher. ABC fire extinguisher has five pounds of uh, chemical powder on the inside under pressure. And uh, you, if you have a fire, you just uh, grab the fire extinguisher, uh, stand back about six feet, aim at the base of the fire, and squeeze the trigger. It has a lot of pressure in it, so you don't want to get right up on top of the pan or, or the fire because if you spray it down into the grease, it will splatter back on you and then spread the fire. Uh, but stand back about six feet. Spray the chemicals and let it rest around the fire and suffocate the fire. That's what ABC does. It, fire consists of three things, actually. Uh, heat, fuel, and oxygen. Um, the powder that's inside, the, the chemical that's inside the fire extinguisher takes away the O2, the oxygen, so the fire goes out. Uh, the best thing to do, if you, if you do go in, go in your kitchen, you have a fire on your stove, turn the burner off if you can get to it. 
cover the pan up with a, a lid. If you don't have a lid, like uh, most people don't have the matching lid to it, just put a larger pan over it, suffocate the fire. If, if you can't do that, then use a fire extinguisher. Never, ever put water in, a, in burning grease because then it, it explodes, it expands, then it gets all over your kitchen. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I was listening to you and I'm going, yeah, yeah, don't ever do the water thing. I get it. That, that's great. Okay, it's common sense stuff, but when the, the fire, the flames are shooting up from the stove there, you kind of almost forget half this stuff unless you're embedded into it and trained into it, right? That's correct. Now, we talked about fire extinguishers uh, briefly there, but I had a question about fire extinguishers. I would like to go in somewhat depth if we can. One, about the importance of a fire extinguisher, the different types, the reliability of them, uh, maybe getting them checked and why and um, different chemicals being used for different things. Let's, let's talk about that thoroughly because that's a, a very important first step that a homeowner could do to prevent maybe major loss before you guys get there. Okay. The, uh, the ABC fire extinguisher, like I said earlier, is, is a, a uh, powder that's on the inside. And um, that's, you can put out wood, paper, cloth, any type of fire like that, even gasoline. Um, now, if you around a lot of uh, computers or um, machinery of, of that type, you want to get a sealed fire extinguisher. And what that is, it's, it's like it's, it's basically cold air, Freon coming out, and it takes the heat away from the fire, and it suffocates the fire and goes out that way. Taking heat away from the fire yes. suffocates it? Yes. Like you have a computer on fire, and uh, you don't want to use it. Well, you can use the ABC fire extinguisher, but it's very messy, and uh, it will get all in your, your wiring and stuff like that. But a CO fire extinguisher, it's just like cold air. Uh, in fact, if you put your finger over the tip of the uh, uh, outlet where the chemical comes out, it will, it will freeze your finger. It does, that's how cold it is. And uh, that's the most basic types that you find uh, anywhere. Let's talk about ABC. Ex explain exactly what does ABC mean on a fire extinguisher. ABC means uh, it would put out uh, paper products, wood products, it would put out flammable liquids um, like your your bed, any kind of linen, your, your typical everyday stuff that you find in a, in, a, in a house. So ABC, each letter doesn't stand for something in particular. It's just an ABC fire extinguisher covers all your bases, or does the A stand for something? Does yeah, the... it covers all your bases. Okay, and then, so if I'm going to the store to look for a fire extinguisher, and I see one that says ABC on another fire extinguisher, what would I see so I know the difference between the two? Is there a, is there a code for that one? Well, you have ABC, um, you have the, uh, the CO fire extinguisher, and then you have the BC. Because yeah, I've seen that before. So yeah. what's the A, if it's BC and one's ABC? Um... Gotcha. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. It's uh, all type of materials for, for the ABC. Okay. That's, that's the most common type you want to put in your in your in your house. Uh, ABC fire extinguisher in your in your boat, your car. Uh, it'll put any type of fire that you have. Okay. Now, what about the construction of a fire extinguisher? I've had people in the business of selling extinguishers making comments, comparing one over another, where one's maybe a plastic container as compared to a metal container and the type of gauge that's on it. Can we talk about that? Because if, somebody, if somebody's budgeted and doesn't have the money to buy the upgrades, having something is better than not having anything. But if people do have the option and the ability, maybe we can describe the different types and the qualities and um, what would be best, what type of mechanisms would be best for certain types of fires. Okay, if you go to purchase a fire extinguisher, you, you need to get one with a metal head on it. Uh, they do make them with the plastic heads. Um, if you, that could break off, um, but if you want to get a good fire extinguisher that, that's going to last for a long time and, and reuse it, get one with a metal head because that way you can take them to a, a company that can recharge them for you, refill them, and they're good uh, uh, once more. Now once you use one with a plastic head, 
Majority of the time, the people that refill them will not do that, do so because the plastic heads are dangerous. They'll, they'll break and they'll crack and it's no good anymore. Uh, but get you a, a good metal, uh, five tenths with a metal head. And uh, we recommend for like a, a house, have a five pound. Uh, they do make the two and a half pound. They do make a three pound. Uh, those aren't quite big enough. You need a, a good five pound fire extinguisher. And um, it has a gauge on it. Um, if it's low, it'll be to the left. If it's overcharged just a little bit, it's okay. But if it's in the green, it's good. And, and a good fire extinguisher will last you about, uh, I've seen them last eight, nine years. Uh, but every every six years, you need to have them uh, hydrostatic tested, which means the company has to you have to take them to a company or they come down and pick them up. They put them on machine and they put them under pressure just to make sure that they will withstand the pressure that's inside the, uh, the extinguisher and replace the powder. Um, and around this area here, we have a, a lot of humidity problems. You need to uh, take your fire extinguisher about once a month, shake it back and forth, make sure the powder is loose on the inside. If you don't feel nothing moving around on the inside, chances are the powder on the inside has gotten wet or damp, and you go to use it. Although the gauge says good, uh, got a lot of pressure on it, you open uh, press the uh, trigger nothing comes out now, see that's I wouldn't even have thought of that that's a great tip right there yeah. now in my house I have a wood stove and so I have a large fire extinguisher nearby the wood stove and I also have smaller ones beside every bed just I don't know to get you a pathway to get out of the house or something if you're caught off guard would you recommend that would you suggest anything else outside of that in the sense of uh, fire extinguishers and protecting yourself I believe you got the bases covered on that uh, if you do get a fire extinguisher and you want to mount it somewhere or put it somewhere don't put it behind a door uh, because when you do have a fire you know you're going to panic and you're going to look around where's that fire extinguisher and if you can't if it's not visible then you're not going to remember where it's at most time uh, you need to mount it on the wall somewhere where it's eye level where you can see it. Uh, I've seen a lot of people put them under the cabinets next to the stove. Uh, if you have a kitchen fire, majority of the time the fire is going to be on the stove, so you don't want to put it next to the stove. You need to put it away from the stove so you're, you're able to get to it. Mm -hmm. um, what I was in Belton one day coming up to an intersection where there was a convenience store with gas pumps, and there was a gentleman with the hood of his vehicle open, I don't know what he was doing, but all of a sudden I noticed where the carburetor was, he had flame coming out of it, and he started panicking, obviously. And he's there trying to put it out with a rag and keep igniting. I have a Jeep, and I put two fire extinguishers on my Jeep because after I saw that, I've got a fire extinguisher in each one of my vehicles for just that purpose in case something happens to mine or somebody else's. Can you make any recommendations on that? Even though I've got one, I may be doing it wrong, or what type I should have because it's electrical wiring, things of like that nature. Well... The electrical wiring, ABC, if it's a flame, it will knock out the flame. Uh, on that, you would not, would need to use uh, uh, water. Now, they do make water fire extinguishers. We carry those on the truck. And, um, and sometimes that's what we use on car fires. If it's not a real big fire, just a small fire in the wiring on, on the inside of the engine compartment, then we'll, uh, we'll use a water fire extinguisher. Mm -hmm. What about the nozzles at the end of them? I seen different nozzles like a cone. And then one's got almost um, a smaller size nipple to it. Uh, what's the difference and what, what's the application for those types of nozzles? Majority of the time, the water fire extinguisher will have a, a little nipple on the end of it. Uh, because it is under pressure, you'll have a straight stream coming out. The cones uh, would be for the... Uh, now, if it's a large cone, uh, it's probably a CO fire extinguisher. If it's a smaller cone, it'll be an ABC fire extinguisher. And if you go to use a fire extinguisher, uh, 
You pull the pin first, you squeeze the trigger, but you want to have your hand right behind that nozzle or that cone because it's under a lot of pressure and it can come back and hit you, uh, turn around on yourself. So put your hand toward the end of it, not over the end of it, but toward the end and hold it steady in your hand because it, it is under a lot of pressure. In a course of an emergency and you're forced to use one of these air extinguishers, let's say the five pounder, what is your allotted time of usage? with that fire extinguisher at f- full throttle you know when you're just like oh my gosh i'm spraying it how long does it last a uh, a five pound fire extinguisher like it has five pounds of powder on the inside and if you have a good sized kitchen fire um if you go to if you spray that continuous it will probably last you about oh a good minute uh but it's a lot of powder on the inside and that stuff comes out and it gets all up in the air and that's what it does it takes the uh, the oxygen away from the fire and, and the fire uh, goes out but there's, there's good time allotted for that power to come out. Okay, so we got about a minute of full throttle. So if you're being um, careful what you're doing, you can might be able to maximize it for sure instead of just blowing it all out one spot, right? That's correct. Okay. What about smoke detectors? You hear everybody needs a smoke detector, multiple smoke detectors. Then there's carbon, um, carbon monoxide detectors. Yes. Let's talk about those where they need to be placed, different types, different brands, things that are better. Maybe even if you've got a program, the fire department where fire departments have programs to, I don't know, give away or <clears throat> uh, help put up. Why don't you tell us all about that? We had a, a uh, drive here several years ago. Uh, we had a grant through the FEMA uh, system where we received uh, a lot of fire extinguishers, uh, smoke alarms, excuse me. And uh, our goal was to have every home in Cameron with at least one or two fire uh, smoke alarms. And uh, we were very successful with that. We put up like, I don't know, 500 smoke alarms. And um, we still have people come by the station now, you know, try to get a free one. And once while, we'll have some on hand. We'll give out to them. And two years ago, I believe it was, two or three years ago, we had a fun with a, I mean, a drive with uh, American Red Cross. Uh, we put out um, flyers. If you need a, a smoke alarm, contact us and we'll uh, come, come by and install them for you. And we did that one, all day one Saturday. And we put a, a, a great deal of those through the American Fire, excuse me, American Red Cross. Now, there's several different brands. We don't recommend any brand. Just as long as you get one, uh, uh, that's going to have a, um, what most of them, well, all of them have a battery. When you buy one, they have a battery with them. And um, if you want us to recommend some for you or you want us to, to uh, help you out in that situation, we'll be glad to just call us at the station and I will walk you through that. But we recommend when you put up smoke alarms, have one in every bedroom and have one in the hallway. And um, we, we don't really recommend putting one in the kitchen because almost every time you cook, it's going to go off. And I know we've done that at our house before. Uh, my wife be cooking, it'll go off, and we'll take the battery out, and we'll forget to put it back in. Uh, so uh, we don't recommend putting one in the kitchen. Well, that, that would make sense because a lot of, you know, there's always an accident where you overcook something and it's just a racket. That's right. So, okay, and... And the placement, as you said, in every bedroom and in the hallway for obvious reasons. Because if you're sleeping, hopefully if you're awake, you're going to know what's going on. But if you're asleep, you need the most warning that you can get if there's a fire. But what about the carbon monoxide one? They're getting more and more popular. Um, Why would I need that? From from what's going to cause that? Well, you might have a a, uh, a gas leak uh, that will set it off. Your Sometimes your furnaces, if they're not operating correctly, they'll put off CO and they'll go off uh, in that situation. And uh, they're very sensitive. The best thing to do, if one, if you do have one and it goes off, you need to open up your windows and get out of the house. Uh, or get out of the house and call us, and we'll come and check it out for you. Uh, you can't smell it. You can't see it. Uh, but it's there. That's what the, the alarm is for, mm-hmm. to protect you while, while you're there. You know, you brought something up here that I was going to ask you about. Let's say there's a fire brewing in your house, 
it hasn't gotten catastrophic yet, but it's like, I need to call the fire department. What's What would be your recommendation or procedure for people to do, I guess, before, during, and after the call to 911? If you see smoke in your home or you see a fire, the best thing to do is, is uh, get out of the house, call the fire department, close your door when you, when you leave. Uh, we always tell the, uh, we have a fire prevention program at the school. We tell the kids to go home and tell their parents, if you see smoke, smell smoke, or see a fire, get out of the house. Go to a meeting place in the yard, whether it be under a swing or out by a tree, into the driveway, but make sure everybody's out and have a meeting place. And uh, if you notice that someone in your family's not there or your pet, do not go back in for them. When the first arriving fire unit gets there, first arriving fireman gets there, tell them that so-and-so is not there in your family and will be at in the house. Primary concern is going to rescue those people. Okay, I'm an action type of person, so I want to ask you a question. Why? If I smell smoke, do I have to leave my house? Why can't I go check it out? And if I can fix it real fast, because let's say I'm out in the country by the time you guys get there, all of a sudden a small problem turned into my house burned down. So give me, if you can, explain to me why is it so important to get out of the house? Is it just a coverall or is it like you're assuming it's got to the point where you can't fix it anymore? If you uh, if you smell a bit of smoke in your home and, and you're not there by yourself, you have family members there, go ahead and tell them to get out. And, and look for the source of the smoke. It could be something minor that you could fix yourself or turn something off. Um, but still, uh, if you if you smell the smoke, you need to call the fire department. We can still come out and check it out for you. Say you have a fire in a wall, so to speak. Your outlet is, is uh, smoking. Uh, maybe a small flame. You unplug it, uh, the cord out of the wall. And you say, well, I'm, I think I've got that out now. But there could have been a fire inside your wall that yes. you're not aware of. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, we have a thermal imaging camera that we can go in and, and put that on your wall and see how hot it is. It might be a hidden fire somewhere. You will know by just looking at it. Okay, so it's a fail-safe mechanism. Get out of the house. I mean, if you can, obviously, I pulled it out. And as the fire department's coming, hey, I, this is what I thought it was. I pulled it out. It might give you direction as to where to go immediately to check out the problem, right? That's correct. Okay. I, I don't know. There's a lot of people out there who want to be very um, accommodating or, re- or responsive and do what they're supposed to do. So when we give out this thing, get out of the house, I'm just thinking, well, if you took a half a second more, you might have been able to say, pull the plug out, tells the guys where to go, instead of them ripping the doors down, the windows open. That's true. Which is another question I got. I kind of know the answer, but I want you to give us a good explanation as to why. You just said if there's a, a problem in your house and you leave, shut the door. But when the fire department comes, sometimes, depending on the situation, the windows get busted out and holes get put into the roof. It's almost contradictory. Can you explain the reason for shutting the door and then why you would come and have feel it necessary to knock out windows and maybe put holes in the roof? A fire, like I said earlier, has to have three components, heat, fuel, and oxygen. If you, if you cut off the oxygen to the, to the fire, it, it, it will die down and eventually go out. Um, if you have your windows open, your door open, and you have a fire inside the house, it's it just going to breathe that air in and, and get bigger and bigger. If you can, if you close everything down, the fire more or less suffocates and gets smaller and smaller. Now, when we get there, yes, we, you know, back in the, the olden days, uh, that was the first thing some fire departments did. They got there and broke out all the windows. Well, we don't do that. We try to contain the fire as, as, uh, to the smallest area as possible. Uh, we'll go in. Um, now and uh, we need to ventilate once we get in there and extinguish fire find out what's going on then we'll open up the windows and doors and we'll put our fans in and blow all the smoke out so we'll make sure we got everything out and uh, found all those small hot spots and that that breaks down the the heat in the building right that's correct okay Um, as we're winding down on time here 
There's a thing I always read about and hear about, and that is when people are using these fryers, like doing turkey fryers or whatever, the dangers on that. Ex- explain to us about that, because I'm sure you've had a lot of challenges with that where it's spilling over, people getting burned, causing fires, the whole works. What can you tell us on that, especially during the holidays? Well, it depends on what, what type of burner they have. If they have a large fire underneath the pot and it's full of grease, uh, you know, grease will burn. It'll get so hot, it, it will finally uh, just go ahead and, and erupt. It will boil out of the pan. Uh, if you have small children around, uh, that's very dangerous for them. Uh, if you want to have a fryer, uh, I recommend putting a pot on top of a fryer, have your fryer, or, or have one with rails on the side of it so the pot won't fall off of it, slide off of it. Sometimes that happens. Uh, we had a, a fire here a couple of years ago where they was burning, uh, doing turkey in the backyard, and it fell over onto the grass and caught the grass on fire. Um, that burning, that boiling grease is very, very dangerous. And since we're talking about burns, um, tell us about the levels of burns, first degree, second degree, third degree, and just so we have a knowledge of when we hear these news reports, how severe something may have gotten. First degree burn is like a severe sunburn. The skin is red and irritable. Second degree burns is when you have blisters. It goes, penetrates the skin just a little bit. Third degree burns is most severe. It goes through your skin, your tissue, can go down to your bone. That's a third degree burn. Wow. And you don't want to, you don't want to flush that out with water because uh, water has uh, some contaminants in it and it, it can cause infection. Um, first degree burn is like, like I said, a sunburn. Uh, you can put cream on that. Uh, second degree burn, if you have any kind of open skin, uh, we would just recommend getting some kind of a first aid ointment for burns. And what about if you're not getting help immediately and you have third degree burns? You need to get to the hospital or doctor as soon as possible. Okay, because you, well, you can lose fluids, can't you? Because That's of that? correct. And That's does right. your skin almost like just melt? It, it melts and sears off the nerve endings and all that. And you're very susceptible to, um, to germs, infection. Okay, yuck. Let's talk, um, let's talk about burn bans. I know a lot of people call the sheriff's office to ask if there's a burn ban. And I know that's not the right place to call. They can call there, I guess. But there really is another direct place that they can call if there's a burn ban. I'd like to know where that would be. And then if let's talk about burn bans, who determines them, who um, starts them, who stops them, what conditions that is, what you can do under a burn ban, and so forth. The uh, Mom County Fire Chief Association, we meet once a month, and uh, we meet and we discuss the burn bans. If we feel the need for a burn ban, uh, we'll go to the commissioner's court and ask uh, the court or the judge to put on a burn ban. And uh, once they approve that, then it's on. Um, we we ask for burn bans. Like right now, it's getting pretty dry. We have we have a lot of fires, people bills going down the roads, uh, or they're uh, uh, burning trash and, and it gets out of control. Uh, then we'll, we'll ask for a burn ban. It's really drying out right now. Uh, but when the burn ban is in effect if, if you, or not, if you need to find out if the burn ban is in effect, you can call your local uh, fire department, you can call your local police department, or you can call the sheriff's office, and they would know. We all relate back and forth to each other if the burn ban is in effect or not. Now, under a burn ban, um, you, you, from having an agricultural burn, if they're going to burn off a field for, for uh, planting crops, uh, uh, that's okay to do that uh, if they go through proper precautions. They need to have it plowed around. They need to have a water tank there, some kind of a water source, and be there with it at all times. Uh, also, during a burn ban, you can burn household garbage as long as it's in a barrel with a screen over it. Uh, we don't uh, recommend you burning in, inside of a pit because a pit can get out of control, especially if the wind's blowing. Um, but that's the only two types of fire you can have is for agricultural uh, purposes and for burning household garbage. 
Now, this is probably going to be like a, a silly question, but in a barrel, 55-gallon drum, what would be your recommendations on prepping that barrel for burning? Holes, screen, the whole... Just give a definition out there. If somebody wants to do it, they say, oh, I can do this. Let's make sure we know the proper way to do it. Have a screen that covers the entire uh, top part of the barrel. Um, I've seen some people have holes around the top of them for more air. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, air feeds the fire. You can have holes down toward the middle part of the barrel. But the thing is, if you if you have that barrel sitting in grass, those ashes, coals going to uh, fall out of them holes and set the grass on fire. Uh, it'll burn uh, on a week. And by all means, if you're going to burn your house on garbage, stay with it. Don't leave. We have fire. Go to town and come back and then your ashes burned up. We've got like less than two minutes here. Um, why don't we do this? Let's recap. Is there anything that I missed that you might want to mention? Anything going on in the area that we can uh, talk about or promote? Get off the burn after dark. If you're going to have a brush pile, you're going to burn or any type of fire, it needs to be out an hour before dark because at night when you burn, uh, people go by and see that and they see the glow and the first thing they're going to do is call the fire department and say there's a house on fire and we go out there and all it is is somebody burning the brush pile. Please, please, don't have to dark the lives. Very good. Chief, I um that we've gone over. Ladies and gentlemen, you can uh, check it out on the podcast. It'll be up uh, probably by Monday or Tuesday, the podcast and all of our podcasts from previous shows on um, iTunes or Podbean or go to my uh, Aaron's Gun Shop uh, YouTube channel or go to my Facebook page. We'll have it playing there. So uh, there's all sorts of information you can get and that's why I have people like you on with a plethora of information to share with the public out there. Manners don't have to be called. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm some music and I just want to tell you it's we get to support our sponsor. If you support them, they support them. So uh, there's all sorts of information you can get, and that's why I have people like you on with a plethora of information to share with the public out there. Manners don't have to be called. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm some music, and I just want to tell you, it's always oh, we get to support our sponsor. If you support them, they support them.